Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 41 with... Joseph Makos and... Joseph Bievin. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? Some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. Alright, so tonight we have with us poet and performer Chris Champagne. How are you doing tonight, Chris? Hi, Joseph. And Joseph? Hi, I'm fine. I'm, I'm on Joseph, but I'm, I'm okay. <clears throat> thanks for having me. I appreciate you having me on the show. Absolutely. Uh, well, thanks. Friday evening on St. Claude. Nice to have you in the shop, honestly. Yeah, it's a beautiful, interesting place, actually. A little so, different than the old spot, but... Uh, yeah, but it's... Uh, well, it's very artistic in its own way. Indeed. Just in its own, you know. The terrazzo is a nice touch. Yes. It's a spirograph over there, mm-hmm. and there's Ben Franklin in front of me, and there's beer and pizza someplace to be found somewhere. There's a map someplace to get to it, I think. But uh, anyway, but it's, a, it's very radio-like, studio-like as well in, in its own way. Yeah, you know, cool. Vintage radio studio. <laughs> You know, from like a 1930s film. Except it's in color. That's good. We're still seeing it in color. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is true. Yeah, it's true that we still see color, yes. <laughs> that's so, always a funny way that people think of the past. Like, wow, everything was black and white in the past, you know? Like, Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. So uh, we, really went, we really wanted to talk to you about poetry tonight. Okay. And maybe have you share some poetry. I'll try to think of something to say about it. What, what do you want me to say about poetry? What, what, what do you want to know? <laughs> well, I don't know. You've been doing this a long time. You have any... Uh... Well, you know, I say on a uh, personal note, when I was younger, I used to just dabble around with writing a few things here and there. And uh, I never really had any ambition to do anything with it particularly. So... Uh, when I got married, which was a long time ago, I kind of stopped writing. And uh, once in a while, I'd, I'd write something. When I got divorced, I started writing again. And actually, poetry has, I started to write again at that time. It's led to everything that I've done since then. I mean, I used to be scared to death to talk in front of people. And I was scared to death even to read my poems originally, but now... You know, as, as you know, I, I do like a one-man comedy show on, on stage, and uh, I'm not afraid anymore. And it took me a while, but it took me from the first time I read in public, which is 1989. It took me about a little over 10 years before I wasn't afraid to, you know, be on stage. I mean, I was afraid to, I was scared to death. So, I, so this kind of led to that. And I've, you know, I've done you know some other books about other things and written articles and and anyways it changed my life actually quite a bit just the fact that i shared my poetry with somebody now of course it it, it, the way it worked out the first night i ever read was at ruby's roadhouse in mandeville Mm -hmm. in an open mic (laughs) and uh and i was scared to death and uh everybody liked what i did so i guess if they wouldn't have liked what i did then then we wouldn't be here, which could be a good thing for yeah. for the world, no. but, but not for me. <laughs> the forg- yeah, you, you would have just given up. I would have given right. up. Yes, yeah. I, the I'd, forgiving crowd at Rose that's right. I'd, I'd, that's right. I'd be a mass murderer now. So <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I have to express my artistic. Uh, oh, that's why. Somewhere. That's why we were included in not being here. I think. <laughs> no, 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 we no, would have no. been murdered. No, no, we would have. No, you wouldn't have been murdered because I wouldn't have known you. Probably. <laughs> I would have probably murdered someone in some other field. I wouldn't have murdered poets. <laughs> you have gotten yeah, famous in a different way. Right. That's, uh, in fact, that's the only way I'll ever get famous is to commit a f- heinous federal crime <laughs> to really get famous in the wider world. So uh, that's, you know, it's done a lot for me, really. I mean, personally, I uh, I recently uh, I recently gave a copy of my book to a, to a, to a young lady that I was trying to, to woo. And usually it works well, but for some reason it... Uh, it put the kibosh on it for some reason, which I, which I, which I could kick myself in the behind because things were going so well. And it's like the only time it's, it hasn't worked the other way. Yeah, yeah. And then I sent her a poem, and she actually loved it. 
So, do you think it's just the title? She doesn't well, like cockroaches. No, or no. I mean, I wrote these poems twenty-five and thirty years ago. Yeah, I'm a yeah. changed person now. I used to be on the North Korean <laughs> Politburo, and now I'm like a, a I'm like a, a white, straight Caucasian American man now. So, so it's totally different. No, I don't know, man. It's like you know, whatever you do, you know, no, no matter what great intentions you have, it often backfires. Well, that's true. Yeah. Oh, I, I can tell you what. <laughs> it's amazing, really. It's amazing. It so. is. It's almost like it's almost like sometimes it always back like it always yeah. does the it, it never is what you expect it to do. That's right. That's that's correct. I mean, it's 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 amazing. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, in fact, I was waiting for someone I was waiting for this I was waiting for this girl to call me. All right? And I really wanted to talk to her. So, my phone broke that day. I don't know why. It just wouldn't work. <laughs> so it took me all day to figure it out. And then I said, well, she probably didn't call. And, of course, then she calls me this effusive message. Call me right away. So I didn't get the message for like a day and a half. All right? And, and I mean, you know, I mean, it's – So then who I mean, knows what she's thinking? That's right. I mean, at that time, I mean, who knows what, what changes, you know? I mean, it's just – and this is just recently. I mean, it's like I don't – what happened today – well, today I had the wrong date. I thought I was supposed to come here in two days, and I had to come tonight. Luckily, I actually messaged you yeah, right yeah, before yeah. the actual time I was supposed to be here. <laughs> and uh, we would have just held it against. You. Well, I well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, well I, I understand. That's, that's why. It's like I, that, that's why. That's the only reason I tell people to come to my comedy shows constantly is because if I don't tell them about it and they don't know about it, then I can't hate them if they don't come. It's true. So, so, I, so I mean, you I can't have have, blame, I can't have, blame have, them. You have to have valid that. reasons for hating people. That's right, of course. <laughs> I mean, I'm a civilized person. I mean, it may not seem like that, but I am actually civilized. Not 100% of the time, you know. Because when I was nice, when I was nice, it didn't work out too well. When I was nice all the time. Because people abuse you then. It's true. It is true. Yeah, they take advantage of you and they abuse you. That's right. And they push, you're a pushover and That's you're right. nice and you, you, they take it, you know, they keep... Keep doing it, and then you try you try to learn your lesson, and then you think the next person can be different, but then they do the same thing. It's so disappointing when I think about it, but that's just the way <laughs> the world is. I mean, I'm, it, it's true. It's 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 ridiculous. Nice guys finish last. That's right, and you know where that comes from. Is it like a '80s song? No. <laughs> There's a guy who was born in Gretna. In Gretna, really? Yes, and he's the greatest baseball player in the, whoever came out of this metropolitan area. His name is Mel Ott. Mellot. He was the he was the National League home run champion for a career when he quit. He played when he was like sixteen for the Giants. Well, he was a really fine gentleman, and he uh, he was the manager of the, of the New York Giants. And Leo DeRosha was the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And Leo DeRosha was a real prickly character, so the press used to give him a lot of static for giving him so much, giving them you know giving it back to him, and because not being a nice guy. And he said, "Look over at Mellot over there, okay." He's the nicest guy in the world, and where is he? And he's he's in last place, and it became nice guys finish last. Really, that's the origin of the saying. Yeah. Really, yeah. I think I actually tried looking that up recently, and it uh, there's that that is the main going. Right, that's the one that they say. That's it the is. main going one. Right, there's a few other ones that they think right that are in there that he might have gotten it from somewhere else or, or from something. Right. It might be a literary reference. I thought too. Well, something. it was it was when I was in the Olympics in 1928, and I finished last. In the, in, the, in the giant slalom. <laughs> if it had been a small slalom, I probably would have won. But, but they, they made it twice as long that year. Right. It was a giant slalom, so, <laughs> as they say in New Orleans. It was a giant slalom. Well, I feel like I try to be nice all the time, but I must be doing it wrong because people still think I'm an asshole. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I mean, but I don't follow you around at all times, so maybe you're right. Okay, no, I don't know. You seem like, you seem like a nice enough guy to me. But, you know, what do I know? You know. That's always a tricky thing, you know, because it's like um, I always think about like like uh, people who have wronged me in some way, and I and I get upset about it, and I want to like get back at them, and and I think like, but all their friends like them, you know? It's like oh, they got all those cool friends that like them and think that they're great, but they were so mean to me. How do I how do how do I ever tell them their friends how mean they were to me? <laughs> well, you just tell them. I mean, everybody's you know. I mean, everybody has different. Experiences with everybody, you know. What I mean, but totally I mean, you, true. But you know, it's like 
you know, if you have a body of work of being an okay person and you do something that you shouldn't have done, I mean, you, you need to, you know, you got some skins on the walls at least. So, I mean, and, and you know, I've, you know, I had two friends when I was in high school and they didn't like each other very much. They were, they were two of my best friends and they, and they didn't like each other. But they didn't, yeah, they didn't like each other, huh? Right. But they, they just misunderstood each other. And I kind of like told them, said, well, no, they really like this and they like this. And they became like really best friends after that, after they realized that they, their, their view of each other was not, he was skewed. It yeah, wasn't, yeah. It wasn't accurate. Now you didn't say, but is this like a Betty and Veronica situation, or is this two guy friends? No, it's two guy friends. Okay, just making, <laughs> yeah, 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 just making yeah. sure it wasn't like a Betty and Veronica situation. No, well, no I'm no. glad we got our obligatory Archie reference into the episode. <laughs> there you go. What do you see? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, do they even, do they still have those things? There is now Archie and Veronica. Not oh, only do they not only do they still have them. There is a television show that is like a teen soap opera based on the Archie comics, but it's really weird. They try okay. to make them look well, all... <laughs> well, we should drop four million of those over North Korea. And there's another... And there's another uh, In the Archie world, uh, I, th- I mean, I know this the is like... The Archie world. Yesterday's news as far as like a comic people listening to this, if someone's comic aficionado, but a number of years ago they did, they started a new series and it was really good. It was, um, it was Archie in the Afterlife where okay. like Archie dies taking a bullet for his friend. <laughs> That's true. So he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Comes. Uh, well, I didn't think that one would come full that, that that quick of a circle. Don't do but, it, Archie. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I think. That's like what Jughead said. And, and he oh took, well, well, well. And he took a bullet for his friend. Um, and uh, he ends up in the afterlife, and it's just uh, Archie, Archie in the under, uh, Archie in the afterlife. What? I mean, that seems like you run out of stuff for him to do really fast. No, I think is it like a Christian afterlife, or is this like like the Greek underworld, and there's like Sisyphus pushing a rock or something? No, I think it's like I think it's more like um like like um wait like it's sort of like in this afterlife world where everyone's zombies and uh-huh. the dead, the living dead. Oh yeah, it's like well, living dead, Archie living dead. Well, that's not the afterlife. That's... Oh, but it's afterlife. <laughs> well, it's... I think it is in the <laughs> somehow he took a bullet and it turned him into a zombie. Well, but he's like he looks like he looks like he's like he's like. A zombie, but he's in the afterlife. Oh, that's weird. He's like dead Archie. <laughs> dead Archie. <laughs> <laughs> dead Archie has a new life. I guess he's superpowers because he has an afterlife. I mean, it's yeah. like... I don't know. I'm sorry. I did that All right. Maybe we, should, uh, maybe we should get back to poetry. Okay. What do you want to know? Well, I don't know. Should we, should we have you read, read a poem first? Probably not, but I will. Probably. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's see. I'll read the first poem I ever read in public. How's that? All right. Okay. Uptown. Britannia was quiet, not giving up any of its unabashed, tranquil, yet demure, asphalt-rich couture. Bianca screeched her Mercedes to an unnumanly-like stop. Bart was taken by an all-cotton surprise. Bianca rushed him, stabbing him with a croissant. He reeled, his alligator bruised. He fell on a side street. His dad wouldn't have been caught dead on a side street. No, not Big Jack. He'd rather die than be seen on constant renunciation. Catholic streets at that. Bart still could feel the tightness in his muscles. Bianca, in her own way, could feel it too. Her broken Perrier bottle found Bart's thigh. He screamed. Grammatically correct, mind you. Tripping over his wine belly, he parried Bianca with a swift, Eugenot-inspired savate and made for his Mercedes like a shot. Bianca was much quicker than he thought. She had searched half the night for her Gucci scissors. Now indecision set in. What ought we to go for? Her training at Johns Hopkins always did get the better of her all those late-night liqueur parties when the boys and girls would play Kill the Antelope, each one trying to outdo the other with textbook-fortified ways on how to put an antelope down. She had held her own then with all those kids from the East, hadn't heard her a bit mingling with the common folk at Mardi Gras parades. Quick! Bart was getting away, she scratched the paint on his German chariot. Had she gone too far? Now it was Bart who shed his cool, nopsy, dividend-fed demeanor and took to the fray as if it were his inherited Rex credentials. Trying to remember she was a woman, after all, this was still the South, he started to beat her with the picayune. It was almost fatal. Bianca, in her most courageous move since going to Parasols for a sandwich or another day beside St. Patrick's, rolled away before she died of embarrassment. No more qualified means of destruction were available except, of course, both Mercedes. Out of the question. They started to struggle. The dialogue changed. 
aware for the first time of how much they had in common since the Italian wedding they had gone to so many years ago. Bianca and Bart rented an old Ford, drove to some secluded spot, and naked, except for their Piagets, humped long into the night. The lights on state are glowing. Tonight, the species is secure. <laughs> so. So I gotta say, one thing I always really like about your poems, Chris, is that I think a lot of times when people try to make a lot of New Orleanian references in their poems, it comes off as stiff. Uh-huh. And it's I like how you just kind of drop them in, and it's like if you don't get it, it's all right. If you yeah. get it, it's fine. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate. It. Well, I hope that's I hope that that's true. I appreciate it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I try to be uh, I try to be authentic. You know, I mean, it. Uh, I'll tell you something else. You know, after I got divorced, I started writing poems again. But I, 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 I was feeling kind of low one night, and uh, I, went, I took a, a walk, I went over to the Lakeside Shopping Center. And I was walking by uh, this thing that they, this thing that they used to have in the old days. It was a bookstore, <laughs> and uh, so I walked by the bookstore, and there was like a rack of books, and it was a book of poetry. And I looked on the back of it, and it had blurbs, and the blurbs were not from poets or writers; they were from notable people in New Orleans, as it turns out. And and they were saying how funny the poems were. So I looked through it, and I said, "These poems are not funny," you know. <laughs> and I said, "I can do funny," you know. So I remember I went home. I sat down on my couch. I can vividly see it in my mind. And I sat down there with my notebook that I used to write in and a pen. And for the first time in my life, I had like a clearly delineated, you know, purpose to write something. Because usually I would just kind of like write it just because I, I don't know why. You know, I don't know why. <laughs> and, I, and I used to come up with an idea pretty soon. I didn't know, the idea didn't always, wasn't always a good idea. But it, it would really come to me relatively s- soon and I could write. But this, it seemed like a long time before I could think of anything to write. I remember it was it was XJ was a fisherman was the first line. I don't, I don't even know if I can find that poem anyway. But anyway, after that, I wrote about forty or fifty poems that were like about New Orleans things, about New Orleans people, New Orleans things. Yeah. And, and I had them sitting around, and uh, and I had my 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 heart broken by a nice, beautiful New Orleans girl, and. Uh, so I, I broke down and I went to see a therapist. My friends were, because I was so sad. My friends of mine, they got me to go see a therapist. So I, I, one day I showed him the poems and he, he, he said, man, he said, these things are, are you, you know? And, uh, and from then I actually went out to do the readings and stuff. And, uh, now I've gotten away from writing the poetry and, uh, I actually written a couple lately. And I have some. I've written more than I think, but not enough. I used because I used to write all the time. I, mean, I used to write almost every day. Yeah, you know. I mean, in the old days. Now I do the comedy and stuff. You know, which I kind of, I kind of prefer in a way. But uh, I really kind of, I need to get. I'm, I'm going to die. You know, so I need to start. I keep telling myself <laughs> I need to write more poetry, and I want to write another book. That's just John Travis, who published Roach Opera, my first book of poems, which is my only book of poems at this time. He said he asked me if I wanted to do another book before I die. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, like, he's he not just like right that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, he didn't. You know. So I, I didn't know I was sick. Well, hey, Chris, right? but, uh, maybe why don't you think about doing another book before you die? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, a very good John Travis impersonation. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, John's really a great guy. He really of course is. He is. Yeah, yeah. He really, really, truly is. He's a good man. He's a good man. He, but, although I, I'm reading some of the edits of my book, uh, 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 next time that w- there won't be any of those, those edits next time. But uh, oh, he <laughs> well, he didn't edit that much. He didn't edit that much. He, he edited a lot less than I thought he would. And I, I, I respect him. He's a smart guy. But it's like I, I, I was revisiting the book when I was reading some, and I said, "Oh my God!" And because he, he told me, he said, "Look, I'll, I need to." I said, "Okay, okay," because I wanted to get it done. He said, "Yeah, you can when you read them, you can put it back in," which is true, you know. So because I mean, it's not as if I'm like you know like like words where there are people all over the world, like, you know, memorizing my poems, you know. That's another thing. When I first did them on stage, because that's how I, that's another thing I did. I, I was, I, I did them, you know, from memory. And, uh, and I was so afraid to be in front of people that when I would screw up, I, would, I was like mortified. But then I was, it, but it's, it's like, it's like, you know, it's like a stupid person who is so, you know, narcissistic, even though they, they're not, they don't really mean to be narcissistic. So in other words, like nobody knows what my poems say. <laughs> I'm going to get up there and say anything. Nobody, you know what I mean? Of course, yeah. So I so I, I I use that sometimes because sometimes I'll forget in the middle if I'm doing something you know I'll forget a line. I've yeah. always used that method. Yeah, yeah, and 
I'm, I'm just too I'm just too diligent for my own good sometimes. So I remember I, I remember I did it like I did it a couple of times. It was this big auditorium full of people. I'm mean, like like Chris Rose is in that show, uh, Broad Baggett, uh, Susie Stews, Lisa Demore, who's been uh, yeah, yeah. nominated for like you know the Pulitzer Prize. She was in the show, and the third time we did the show, I like I lost my place. Okay, and I did it like about three times in the first half of the poem, and I was just, I was just totally just so. I was so, I just said, excuse me. I just walked off the stage in the middle of my performance. <laughs> I mean, God, it was, it was, it was horrifying. It was horrifying. We've always had, we've all had those moments. Yeah. And uh, now I just kind of wing it if I, you know, if I can, you know, so. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about that for a second. Cause I, I really like that. I really like that part of the conversation is, uh, you know, I think sometimes that, these sort of uh, moments happen, and they're like they're like uh, they're like these teachable moments of poetry uh, for ourselves, or something. Or, or I know that I've experienced them, where you know I just started reading off the page, or I repeated a line a couple times, or repeated a line once or twice, and then just kind of went into it, or it took me into a different place, and I and I and I blended work in. It's like there's these perform there's these aspects of performing live and reading in front of people, which you know, let's really think about it. Out of the cross-section of humanity, how many people, what's the percentage of people that actually get up in front of a group of people, whether it's at an open mic at a bar when they're drunk, they're reading something, or well, maybe, you know, or like a poetry reading or a, or, or a, a workshop or a, a professional speaking class or something? What percentage of people actually do something like this, where they put themselves in front of a group of people and read or perform? Yeah, it's like it's a pretty small. small. It's, it's pretty small percentage. Yes, it is pretty small. I'm sure. Yeah. So when you put yourself in those situations, you get you get you you sometimes find yourself in an emotional, you know, like well, and po- peril. And poets are the only oh, yeah. ones you know, stupid enough to do it without some kind of practice or, or, or the safety, the safety before, you know. <laughs> and so, like we, you know, so we, so. We've played these games, you know. One of my good friends and I, we played these games where, where, um, you know, we played a game where, where he's a plant in the audience, uh-huh. and he and and I'm just reading, I'm reading poems, and I'm forgetting the lines on purpose, and uh-huh. he's reading them. He's, you? Yeah. he's saying it in the audience, and, and I'm like, and I'm and I'm and I'm gonna yeah. and I keep going. It's almost like he knows the poem better than I do. Right, right. And the audience is like, "What the fuck is this all about?" You know? Yeah, sure, sure. But there, there, so, yeah, but yeah. there's like. These tense moments and like, how do you, how do you, how do you work through those? Or give it, you know, you, you gave us one experience of something that happened where you like, where you embarrassed, but give us, a, give us another example of something that you happened where you like, you did something on the, like, well, well, the, well, the, the only thing is that I'll, I'll just, I'll just do it and keep it in stride. In other words, I, if I, if I miss it and I, I think for a second and I'll just go on to what's next in the poem. Like a, like a, like if a clarinet player misses yeah. a part. I they just go, go on to the part next. that they know, yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, I, fill yeah, it in, right? And you know, I, that's what I do. I mean, pretty much. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know. If you, for, to your question, I don't know if I can think of another example, but that, that's what I do now. And it's, it, it. I, I will say this about when it, when I, when I, when it, when I'm in the middle of it, it pisses me off to no end. Okay, <laughs> I mean, personally, when you miss it, you mean? Yes, when I, when I, when I, when I, when I can't remember it, you know. But people will ask me. I have like a, I have like a greatest hits thing. And people will ask me at a party to say one of those poems. And it's like, you know, I haven't practiced them in a while. Now, I mean, I have about five or six of them that I can kind of do them. But it's like, you know, I'll be going along. Like like, like the other night, I ran into a friend of mine. And he was going to dinner with someone. And he asked me to come sit with him for a while. So before I left, he asked me to do, do one of my poems. So I was doing so well, you know, and I got to a part where I screwed up. You know, but I mean, it wasn't like an audience. It was just a person. But still, it pissed me off that I missed it. You know, that I almost got it right. And of course, if I do, and I, and I talk kind of fast in general, so I always used to talk too fast. And so now when I, I have a little more confidence and, and stuff, I, uh, I, a little more seasoned performer or whatever, I can, I can talk slower. But it's like if somebody asked me to do the poem from memory, if I do it really fast, there's a better chance that I'll get it right. You know, because I just sense, cause yeah. I scoot, scoot yeah. through it, you know. And uh, I mean, I... I God, I hate. It. I did. A, I did a thing at Cafe Brazil about uh, maybe two years ago now, where I did like an hour of my poems from memory on stage because I always kind of wanted to do that, you know. And I, 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 I'm sure I must have missed something, but I think I did pretty well actually. I mean, I practiced for a well, week. That's a lot, an hour. Yeah, 
I mean, I, I practiced, you know, for Memory, yeah. for a couple of days, you know, and uh, I would have to practice for like a week to ten days. Yeah, you got to practice. I mean, even if I know the damn thing, all I got to do is practice it once. It's the same thing I'm doing comedy. If I don't go over the damn thing before I before I do it at least once, I'll, I'll screw up. I'll screw up. You know, but sure. I mean, I always forget, when, I'm, when I do the comedy shows, I always forget something. I mean, you know, a monologue for ten minutes. I always forget something in the show, and it's always one of my favorite things. Always, you know. I think, so how can I possibly forget something that is something that's you know one of the best things? But I always do. But then no one in the audience knows that knows, yes. or even if they've seen your show multiple times, they think you're just experimenting right. or changing well, it or something. Well, that's the thing about that's the thing. I mean, it's like you can if you're you know unless you're like you know. Uh, I don't know some famous person. I mean, you can who's done something over and over again. You can do anything when you're up there. Well, even they do that. You well, know, they, even they, they riff on do. you know sure. even if they riff on things and make it fresh for themselves and new for themselves and program those sort of things in. You know, that's I guess when you get to you know you um, you can start to utilize your you can start to use your mistakes as as profitable ambiguities or profitable right. Um, you know, missteps. I used to uh, I used to do to, to do poetry slams. And uh, there was a poetry slam at Cafe Brazil one time, and uh, I got off work early. I, for the first time in my life, I asked to get off work early so I could make it in time for the, for the poetry slam at Cafe Brazil. So I get down there, and I get there, and a woman was running and tells me, oh, we just closed it. And I went, oh, okay. We can only have 10 people. So, I, so she says, well, you seem pretty disappointed. I said, well, I am kind of disappointed. I said, but I mean, I understand. She says, I'll tell you, what, we'll open it up for one more. So, so I won, all right? And uh, I got this hat, and this, I got this crazy hat that Oliver made, one of Oliver's great hats. And I'm thinking, I'm saying, where can I wear this? You know what I mean? So I, I said, I can wear it tonight because I want it tonight. So I went all over to all the bars in the French Quarter, and I with my hat, my crazy hat. It was great. I mean, women come talk, talk to me. I mean, I should wear a crazy hat all the time. Yeah. But, but from that, I started doing some slams. And then in 93, I went to the National Slam, the New Orleans team. We went to the National Slam in San Francisco in 93, and I was on Baton Rouge team in 99. And then a few years later, I I, w- I was meeting a a, a a friend for the you know for a weekend in Chicago. And she used to be a, a poet when she was in school. She has an MFA, but she now was a, worked for a big corporation. So we went to uh, the Green Mill uh, yeah. you know, where the poetry yeah. slam started, yeah, and they have a slam on Sunday. So I went and I signed up, got there early, and uh, they had an open mic before the slam, and they had two and they had two feature readers that night. And I was sitting there, I'm thinking to myself, God, why didn't I just Sign up for the open mics. I, so I, I kept getting more nervous as time went on, and uh, so I got up there, and I'm here to tell you, okay, that I kicked their ass. Okay, <laughs> I mean, I got to, I'm the only one that got a ten that night, and uh, that was a pretty good. That was that was really a, a good night too. You know, I probably should try to to do some more slam poems, you know, some more theatrical poems, because I could do that. Because I uh, I'm a I'm a dramatic person, <laughs> you know, and uh, for somebody who used to be shy all their life. <laughs> but that was that was that was a fun night, and uh, I mean, of course, slamming kind of went through different phases, and I don't know what's going on with it now. But yeah, I wonder. I was, that was going to be what I was going to ask you. Do you think it's the? Do you think that would go over the same now? Well, I think one of the poems would go fine. Yeah, and the other one maybe. It depends. I mean, it, it depends. I mean, it's like you know, when we went to the National Slam in '93, that was a strange one. Boy, I tell you, I was. We were at this big venue where. It was uh, San Francisco. I can't remember the name, but it was different venues all over the place. And uh, I did my poem, and I didn't like my score, so I started booing the judges. So my friend, <laughs> my friend would put her hand over my mouth. And after it was all over, this woman wound her way through the crowd and shake my hand and said, you know, she says, your problem is, she says, is that you're a real wordsmith. She said, these people, you know, which is, which is cool. You know, it was yeah. nice. Yeah. And, uh, I, and in fact, I saw her. She was at... At Lollapalooza, when they had it out here, she was one of the poets. This 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 woman huh. from L.A. And, well, uh, that was always my experience with it. Was it didn't help you any to write something good? It was more about the performance and about oh, having yeah. something that it's connected a, with the experience. It's of the a political situation yeah, and, yeah. and a great deal as well. It's a yeah. political situation. I yeah. want to say politics. I mean, in the broadest sense. Definitely, yeah. you know, in the broadest sense. I mean, Definitely. like, like we we were slamming against the San Jose team, and one of the, I guess we were in Chicago, and a guy, the guy it was a great, it was a great poem, and he, he introduced himself as his his mother was Guatemalan and his father was Iranian, 
I said, well, well you win. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, unless you're like, you know, you're, you're a marsupial Martian, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, so, but his poem was really good. He was getting down with his Catholic Muslim self. Okay. So it was really a cool poem. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think, I think like I, I've had experience out West, you know, uh, and reading at the Starry Field or like whatever that one place is up in, uh, up in, uh, Ah, oh, sorry. I'm drawing a blank right now. Is it California or is it? Yeah, California. Okay. It's like one of the big slam places to go. So I, I, I did it. I went out there and read it, read at that spot, and it was the same thing that you put your name in a hat, and if you're not one of the eleven to ten people that they pick, yeah. then you don't get to be in the slam. And they read, let, made me or offered me to write a read a poem and open up the second half or something. So I read a poem, yeah. open up the second half. You know. Well. But um, but I read a poem that was um, the whole poem was basically just like this poem's title. Then I just like wrote a poem of just po- titles for poems. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, but it was like one of those situations where it was like I remember the judges and it was intensely political. It was like really political. Yeah, yeah. Like the whole scene. Right. Who you know who was you know even down to like what college they were they went to and it was like, sure. it was a it was a very. It was very kind of like if you didn't know the scene, you didn't know the scene situation. You know? It's really kind of laughable when you think about all the content of the things, the poems you hear there. That that that's the case. I mean, it's kind of like it's kind of like you know, it's just a, a, a extremely interesting juxtaposition of things. Yeah, it is. You know, but one thing I wanted to say also about that slam. Interesting, I thought about the slam in San Francisco. There was a team from Finland. Okay, so this guy got up there, and his poem was called "Nothing." So you have three minutes, all right? So he, he, he turned the page, and he just stood there. He didn't say anything. And then after a few minutes, after a few seconds, he, he turned the page. So he turned the page like about four times, but he didn't say anything. That was his poem. So he got he got three zeros and two tens. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So he was so close to getting three tens. You know, yeah, you yeah. get three tens and two zeros. Well, they throw, the ch- they throw one ten out and one zero out. So that was two zeros and a ten. So his score was ten. But still, it was interesting that you know that and I went up to I went up to congratulate him. I don't know if you, but something about Finnish people from I've read it. Anyway. They don't touch hands. Oh yeah, yeah. They're like that's that's where texting came from because they were too shy to talk to each other. Oh, shut up. <laughs> yeah, look it up. Texting from the Finnish. Look, look it up. Stop it. Okay, <laughs> it's right next to Melot. <laughs> okay, and, but he was like he was it was like I was like I was assaulting him because I wanted to shake his hand. You know, mm-hmm. so I just, so I, I, I demurred. Yeah, I'm, so I'm pretty sharp. I got that close to him. I went like that. It was like putting your hand into a Mori Array fit, you know, box. And, you know, but anyway, so I thought that was pretty interesting. And, and then there was a, in Chicago, there was the, for the, for the uh, individual championship, there was two guys. It was this one guy. I think his name was Reggie. I can't remember. He was the most unbelievable performance I've ever seen for his poem. Reggie? But Reggie something. And the guy who beat him was some guy from Jamaica because he had a Jamaican accent. <laughs> see. And his poem sucked. The Jamaican and, guy. Right, and his performance was terrible. But he went after him. So yeah, there's also a score creep. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. What I mean? It was just ter- it was terrible. Even he, so, so it's so it, it was just you know crazy. And the guy was the other guy was it was unbelievable. The other guy, I mean, he's rapping. I mean, it was not only was his, his performance great, the poem was terrific. Where was this? Chicago at the Chicago Theater. What did the guy look like? Did he have a big afro? No, 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 no. I was gonna say that it, it could have been Reggie Watts because he his. He didn't have an afro. I think no. so, man. But yeah, anyway. I don't know. But that's part of the weird thing about it, right? I don't know that it necessarily promotes such great things. We almost got into a fight there, performance wise, because or one of our, wise, but you know, because uh, one of the guys he he used to ha- he had a, a partner who was African American and he was white, and they used to do this poem together in Baton Rouge. But he was by himself, so he did the poem by himself. And it was about an afro, and one of the teams took offense that he was co-opting their culture, so they, so we almost got into a fist fight with these guys. And I was on the third level, but and I was pretty drunk. Where by was the time this? I got down, Chicago, <laughs> some friggin' bar. By the time I got down there, it was all glossed over. But but I was up next, okay. <laughs> and I did my yad poem, and I ripped that baby out. Yeah, I mean, I was so pissed off. I mean, I just ripped it, and I got you know the best score we got for any poem at the whole thing for that. But uh, anyway, so. It was a strange, uh, well, I wouldn't say it's strange. It's an interesting situation. You know, I met Chuck Perkins that night because Chuck was working the door. Oh, yeah. But he, doesn't, but he doesn't remember. 
Because the next <laughs> time I, I met him was when I was at the, at the Green Mill and he was in the audience. That, that's when he remembers meeting me, but I met him before because we talked about the Saints and everything. <laughs> and you all know Chuck, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Over, yeah, yeah. He's a, he's, a, he's a really fine poet and a good guy, too. Because I did my yacht poem in a slam that I won. And he told me after, he said, yeah, man, so those guys, those, those, they didn't know what you were talking about. He says, but I was with you every, every step of the way because I'm from New Orleans. So that was kind of cool that he was there. Yeah, it's a, it's a cool old bar, the Green Mill. I mean, they have. A, oh yeah, it's wonderful. Yeah, it is. Yeah. That's like a compone. That's like a compone right, bar. Right. Yeah. And the Hell's Angels worked the uh, the the security there for years. Did they? And uh, that they used to have the dumb waiters and move the booze up through the dumb waiters uh-huh. under the bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how they did it. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. like the whole story of the Green Mill. Chicago. It's funny. Yeah. Well, yeah, I got maybe gorgeous not, bar. Too. Maybe not anymore, but. For the longest time. Now there's no such thing as bad neighborhoods in the north side anymore. Okay. But uh, for the longest time, it was in a weird situation because it was in it, that neighborhood became such a there was nothing in that neighborhood to go to other than the Green, Green Mill. Mill for a while. Yeah, yeah. It was like that was the only reason you were getting off of that L stuff at all. Right. I think was, I remember people telling me, <laughs> don't, you're not supposed to wander too far yeah. away from the Green Mill. <laughs> well. I got in a cab. <laughs> I came in a cab and I left in a cab. Yeah, that's a good that's a good look. So you said you that which is kind of the opposite, I think most people do on that, but you said so poetry kinda of led you to doing the comedy. Yeah. But what is like do you but you obviously that's always been part of your poetry. That's part of what's nice about your poetry is the comedic aspect of Right. It. Well that's why it led to the comedy, I guess, because I used I used to uh I would I, I was asked to perform in, in these shows where there was like monologues and stuff and I did my poems. And then from that some people were doing a show, so I used to write comedy. I wouldn't do it because I was afraid. And uh oh God. <laughs> I remember I wrote a a piece about a, a pizza delivery man in Sarajevo when they were having a little trouble over there, you know, in the middle nineties. And somebody else was doing it, but they got the mumps, so I had to do it. All right, at the last minute. So I mean, I wrote it, but I didn't have it memorized. So I had a pizza box. So I put the lines in the back of a pizza box, and I, and, I, and, and, the, and the guy who did it was like a great actor. And when I did it, I got better laughs than him. But maybe I knew the timing better. I don't know. But but that night was the night that the the theater critic from the Picayune came. Shut up. <laughs> so he puts in there about, all about the show, and he puts it. He says Christian Champagne does himself no favors by doing his own piece. Because I mean, I, I, mean I, I literally found out I was doing it like one minute to seven, you know. So, so actually, there's a poem about him in here because I because I don't like that guy. Who was it? Richard Dodds. Yeah, he's he's an ancient one. Yeah. <laughs> well, we could go on and on about you know we could go on and on about. Critics for the Picune and, and the opinion pieces and well, there was one critic of the Picune who who, who who liked me. Well, actually, well, I, I should say that, that. I mean, Cuthbert liked me fine, but and he was a critic for a long time. But there was a guy who was here for a very short time after Dodds, I think, and and he he was very critical of a lot of production. So they they ran him out of town like in about a year and a half. Uh, too critical. Too critical. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. He was. I tell you, he was kind of critical. I mean, he did. Man, he he eviscerated somebody that I know. I mean, just tore them. I mean, a new one, man. It was, but it was brutal. I mean, was it I, true? I think, I think it was true. Yeah, it was true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But nonetheless, so it's a you know. I mean, it's a mixed bag. I mean, it's like you know, you when you when you're performing and you want some people to come see you. You know, it's good to have someone come see you, the critic or whatever, to to give you some press. But it's like you know, that, that, that double and sword. I mean, you know, if they don't like what you do. Of course, you know. Then yeah, but then if you have all, if, but if all the press is positive in the paper, then how do people tell anything apart anymore? You know. What? Well, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well no, just... no, no. Oh no, yeah. I, no, no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You should not be untruthful. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that at all. Well, you know, when I used to to be, the, to, in other words, at the old Dragons Den readings, you know, it was each week we'd have a new poet would be the yeah. host. And when I – and if you're in a poetry community, you know, there's some people that you love, some people you like, some people you admire, some people you don't, some people you don't like, some people you hate, you know? Yeah. So my policy always was if I was going to introduce someone, I always going to say something positive about them. Cause, I mean, come on. You know what I mean? Sure. But but I wasn't going to – but I was I, – I had to be true to myself and I would not be untruthful. So I had to find out something nice to say about it. And if you look – if you try, you can. That's truthful about everybody. Because, I mean, look, I mean, you know, you're out there putting yourself out in the marketplace. Yeah. No, I mean, you yeah. know, it's like when you go see stand up comedy. You know, a lot of stand up comedy, like open mics, is terrible. You know, but, you know, if you, if you look at, listen to, listen to every person, you know, they each have one or two good things. 
True. No, I mean, maybe they have 40 terrible things, you know. <laughs> then, of course, when you meet some of them and they're like rotten people, then, then all bets are off. <laughs> it happens. It happens. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I'm not going to go into that because I don't want to. I want to well, live. I want to live to write my next book of poetry. Okay. <laughs> okay. You want to live to write your next book? Yeah. Uh, so I talk you know, about that. I really, I really liked, which I didn't know you had been doing that, but I liked a piece that you read at some reading recently. What that you've been doing the thing for the running of the bulls? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That the running of the bulls. They have a. I can't remember the name of the thing. It's a, it's a day after. At the Maison. Well, now it well it's at it's, it was at La Maison, but now it's it's at uh, it was at the Gem Saloon, and it was at uh, there was someplace else this year. And so I went to the first. The first one was at Chickawawa. So I, I remember I met some friends of mine who were involved in starting that. So they were having this contest. It was a contest. So I I, I got up and I wrote a poem because I wanted to be supportive of, of them. And and I ended up winning the contest over the poem. <laughs> and uh, so then I, it became a tradition where I would kind of do a poem every. Running of the bull the day after whatever the hell they they call that thing, and uh, oh, yeah, I think well, I don't know, is it still bulls even though it's it's la pobre or something? I can't. It's some, some Spanish thing. I don't know uh, <laughs> some Spanish phrase or day or word. It's something that they used to do. I guess it's it's powder. It's something they they must do the same thing. Well, they do it in the Stamp Stamp Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but they have some, they must have they must have something the day after the running of the bulls that this is yeah, yeah, after yeah, like, yeah. A, like a wind yeah. down. That's the same name as whatever that was. So. Yeah, so I, I actually uh, I got kind of a standing ovation this year, which I, I'm always kind of you know taken aback when people you know react so positively to what I do, you know, and uh, it was kind of cool actually. What'd you do this year? What'd you do? Well, I read a poem. I read a poem, and uh, it's kind of based on like uh, well, based on Hemingway in some way. Sure. And uh, this one was, uh, and, I, and I put ref- you know put references in it. Uh, I try to make it funny, and like like a, it was it was this year's I think was it was it was a story about Faulkner, Hemingway, and uh, and Steinbeck meeting in New Orleans. Oh, that's the one I heard you read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was really good. And Did that uh, happen? No, no. And they <laughs> I, I made it up. Say. And they ended up like they, somebody somebody they 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 went uptown, and somebody somebody was they went uptown. Somebody was beating somebody uh, up with a uh, self help book. And it turned out to be uh, some guy named Bukowski. And it said he turned out to be a poet, so he had it coming <laughs> twice. That was one of the lines, I think, if I remember. Yeah. And this one, yeah. And then I had one when uh, it was it was about uh, Gershwin Stein and Picasso and Hemingway and F. Scott Fitzgerald and Zelda, and they were at a bar, and there was a fish, a fish on the a fish behind the. Uh, uh, Bar. The bar, but it was a crazy looking fish, and it was a fish that that was made up of different pieces of fish. And Picasso said it was a, it was a fish that he made, and and he and he Picasso was angry at what they thought thought about the fish, and he, he threatened to he threatened to do a, a, a portrait of all their families if <laughs> they didn't apologize, something like that. So I, was, I was one of them. I can't remember all of them now. I remember one of them. Juan, Juan Greve was the first one. I think Juan Greve was walking. At, uh, 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 was walking an imaginary dog, and uh, and the Hemingway character in my poem ran into him, and I I I I pissed on his shoe, and he asked me why did I do that? He said because I wanted to do something creative with my sangria. I think that was the end. That was it. So, so I have. So they want me to they want me to, to do a little a little book of those poems. Oh yeah, that's but great. I have to find, yeah, yeah. I write them on yeah. a piece of paper. I will fold them up and they're, they're sitting yeah, someplace in a pile somewhere. You should you should put someone in charge of taking the poem right after you read it on that day. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and taking care of it and scanning it in for you or something. Well, I have actually typed <laughs> two of them that I know of, and I know I have. A couple of other ones in, in notebooks, but I don't have them all. I don't think, but maybe I'd, I, I. I need to do that. Yeah, yeah, I need to do that. Yeah, that's been that's been kind of a positive experience, actually, doing that. Yeah, yeah, you know, no, I, uh, that sounds like a great thing. Yeah, I. Uh, and, and two years, I didn't show up one year. Two years ago, they changed it. They didn't have a contest anymore. They had like talent, you know, you know scheduled. So I wrote a poem. And I hadn't talked to him, so I went down and I sat down at a table. And when I got there, they had like Harry Marone was doing his thing with the puppets. He's great. And uh, then they had a bunch of strippers, you know, like Roxy the Rouge and people, you know. So then I said to myself, well, you know, they're, they're strippers, you know. So I'm sitting there at the stripper store. It's the end of the show. So the guy, one of the guys that runs it, he comes over to me and says, oh, did you write a poem? I said, yeah, I did. And it was in my pocket. And he says, 
oh, well, we'll put you on. I said, oh, my God. So now I'm, I'm after the strippers. <laughs> okay? So I went, great. You know? And, you know, so, so I got up there. And I, I have to say, uh, it was a seriously positive experience. I mean, I, even though I followed the strippers. So that was, that was pretty good. I, I had to follow strippers again this year. You know? So... Yeah, well, see, that's wow. something you don't get to do I just that bite often. The, I just so, bite yeah. the bullet and follow the strippers. I hope for the best. You know? Wow, they they think you're like a great act to follow the strippers. I mean, that's not. There could be worse. There could be worse things to follow. That's true, but I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure they think I'm so great. I should follow the strippers. It just kind of works that way. I think. I don't. I don't know. I don't it's know. It's like when you used to have the comedians in the strip clubs. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah. there's like, but there's like this whole idea too that's like maybe in everyone's mind who goes to that event, it's like. What comes after the strippers, like Chris does? <laughs> it's interesting because before before I do my poem, the strippers won't talk to me. But after I do my poem, then they come over to me and tell me hello. <laughs> well, yeah, that's not that surprising. <laughs> so that's of course, you know. So anyway, uh, and, and and I don't know, and, and I don't know if they, they remember me because sometimes sometimes it's not always the same ones. But I, I wonder if they even remember who the hell I am. You know, I probably not. Wait, wait, wait. The people, the people the strippers. who are the event or the, no, the strippers? strippers. <laughs> well, the strippers, well, the strippers come and go. I mean, it's not like it's this is the same strippers every year. Well, no. Well, there's one Some particular level. stripper who's the headliner. Yeah, she's she she's been there like three years that I know of. That so I've she's got this thing. Yeah. So I don't know whether she remembers me or not by now. But anyway, we're Facebook friends. But that's it. I, I never, I never, I never, you know, query her about it. Okay? <laughs> so, but it's probably more, I imagine, burlesque than strippers, right? Yeah, well, yeah, well, no, yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying okay, to. Just, I'm, I just yeah, want to clarify that. No, that's right. I'm not trying to demean their, you know, their, their, uh, their art. So, pardon me. <laughs> I like how we were just talking about them the whole time. We were just calling them strippers. Yeah, you. Well, are. I'm yeah. also imagining, like, I don't. I felt think like I was like, back in Cleveland in like 1997. <laughs> they're, they're, bur- they're burlesque artists, which is true. I'm not being facetious. They are. So they def- definitely are, and uh, and, and they're, they're serious about what they do, and they do a hell of a job. This this woman in particular, she's very good. I mean, she's you can tell, and she's when, you know. When I was a kid, I re- I didn't I didn't really quite understand this whole stripper reference because when because um my dad was an antique dealer and we would go you strip strip furniture and we would go and you know the thing to do in the eighties and the the thing to do in the eighties seventies and 80, late seventies but in the eighties mostly is you know when everyone finally came to uh, came to their senses and and said oh my god we've been painting furniture white since the fifties. They decided to to take the paint off of it, and, yeah, yeah. And, and it was a big business in that time. Doing that mm-hmm. to, to to take that uh, stuff and put it on the desks and, and pull all of the paint off and and then sand it off, you know. Yeah. So um, when I was a kid, we had a, there was a woman who was who was the uh, who who did that work with her husband, and her and she was like she was like four foot eight, <laughs> and her name was Kitty. And my, mom, my dad would always be like, hey, let's go see Kitty the Stripper. Oh, yeah, yeah. As a kid, I would say, like, I would say to my, like, I would say to, like, you know, he'd be like, yeah, the Kitty the Stripper. My mom, my mom would always be like, stop it. And my dad would be like. He was like the Wizard of Oz, too. He was Frank and Kitty. Yeah, it was Frank and Kitty the Stripper, you know? Oh, no. So my dad would always, like, giggle. And I never really knew what, what that really meant until, until later in life. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's yeah, that's the stripper, yeah. So, so I'm sorry, they're burlesque. I, I guess, I mean, exotic dancers. Yeah, they're not, they're not restoring furniture. <laughs> they're not yeah. restoring furniture either. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you want to read one more poem for us? Sure. Okay. Well, now, what, now what, this, now this, this one has a disparaging remark about Yankees. That's all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, rap. You got this nasal-talking dogree from snow country putting them out on New Orleans, hurting the humid Creole air with this crappy enunciation like his mouth is shored up with popsicle sticks or something. Don't know shit from Shinoli if he's going to put the word on the city. Some bitch would knock Coca-Cola and he knows the name of an unknown soldier's wife. Believe me when I tell you, when it comes down... To it, he was nothing more than the lost ball and high weeds. This Yankee mother can go piss up a rope because there ain't no days like that. And I'm going to listen to somebody from one of them industrial states that everybody knows them sons of bitches blow for green stamps. I mean, they starting to swell, and swell them up. 
They're only trying to stick it in our keistas for Easter. But I got the equitique hanging, flapping in a wrigley's breeze. My cocoonies are this big. Well, they keep blowing this Yankee smoke up my ass. When it comes to being a human being, I wouldn't bet a silver dime wrapped in tinfoil sitting next to a chiwis on my shiffer robe against a parcel of horts and dolans trying just to live their lives. I don't want to hear from some silly goofball swigging his highballs without the charm of a runaway garbage barge. When it comes to being an expert on nothing, this guy is a giant among men. You can stick a fork in him because he's well done. If anybody's going to do it to anybody, we're going to stick my Creole Southern Stomink in his go-go so far. He's going to scream like a jaguar with the locked bowels. My mom and my Mimi are going to hear it all the way in the parish. And baby, I told him right to his face, straight up and down. Cap. Only thing wrong with this place besides is honor the mayor, a guy who would give the drizzling shits a good name. It's Cabal, a private school, white shirt, tie-barred, seventh-ward-eyed, college-degreed magoos who would steal Christ off the cross, then go back for the nails, is the tourism dodge. New Orleans is illin', Daddy. Too much Yankee urine in the system. I told him to get out of town before we knock him asshole over appetite, in a cultural sense. And believe me, it was just beautiful. Perhaps a prescient poem. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, it's like uh, I saw some somebody gentr- I saw some somebody gentr- gentrifying, fixing his house on Saint Claude, gentrifying. So I jumped out and I shot him. <laughs> and I waited for the police to come, and I fell asleep. And when I and when they got there, they thought I was the guy that they was shot, and they took me to the morgue. I woke up. Because it took him so long to get there. Well, thank you, Chris. That was great. Thank you for joining us Thank you all for having me. I appreciate Um, it very much. Do you have anything coming up you want to plug? Uh, January 20th, I have my new uh, one-man show, uh, News with the Pissed. News with the Pissed, which is uh, monologues about local politics, sewage and water board, crime. Probably something about Mayfield, I'm not sure. Uh, Or Ron Foreman, for sure. And uh, various other things. It's going to be at uh, 8 o'clock at Troyo on Tulane Avenue. And the musical guest will be Alex Bosworth, who's great. And what date is that again? January 20th. It's a Saturday night. Okay, great. 8, 8 p.m. Troyo. 504-330-9117 is my phone number. <laughs> I'm going to give that up. I've got Chris's number now. <laughs> All right. All right thank, thank you. Thank you, thank you guys so much. Thank you. <laughs>